Mic check, mic check. One, two, one, two. There it is. We're live. This is it. Inside the Whale, folks. You've done it. Thanks for the click, guys. I'm Doug Cody. We'll get right into it today. Happy holidays. Christmas is almost here. We're almost done with the year 2015, and hopefully it was a good year for you. Was it a good year? How was your year? Did everything go as planned, or did it not go as planned? Was it an awesome year, or was it a depressing year? How was your year? I hope, I sincerely hope it was an awesome year. And if it isn't, and it wasn't, and it wasn't so good, well, God damn it, make 2016 count, because that's the beauty of it. New Year's is upon us. Well, we got to get through Christmas. For, I'm jumping the gun here. We got to get through Christmas first. But it's almost here. Hopefully you've done all your shopping. Things are busy. Things seem hectic. But it'll all calm down and pretty soon we'll be in the middle of January. So just think of that, folks. Anyway, I hope your year was great. Mine was ex an exceptional year of big change. Fatherhood. A transition from one island of Manhattan to the island of Nantucket. I've been here officially a year since December 12th. And it's been great. I really enjoy it. But there's a lot of islandisms. For in, for example, we're trying to get the car off this this uh, Wednesday to go see the family in Connecticut. But uh, got to go standby. The boats are sold out. The rigmarole, the steamship, getting the car on and off. And the price, WTF, whew, not cheap, the on and off. And how about Island Air? That just blows my mind. Are you guys just as flabbergasted as me that they shut down? I mean, how does an airline that's as busy as it's ever been book flights day in and day out, shut the doors? Something smells like fish. The old adage, if it smells like fish, it's probably fish. Anyway, folks, Merry Christmas. I hope you guys are going into the Christmas week with everything done, checked off the list, and you're ready to celebrate it with your family. And have a good time doing it. Here we go. Episode 24, folks. We're in it. Shauna Green, the owner and yogini from the Yoga Room, was my guest today. And we sat down and got to talking about uh, a lot of different things, actually. She is a pretty, uh, led a pretty interesting life. Talked about the, uh, the climate of yoga and how big it's gotten, and you'll hear in that conversation. And I actually have a clip that I found, because I think it's pretty funny. There's a, a web series out there that kind of kind of shows what's the climate of the, making fun of the yoga community, and it was pretty funny, and I thought that uh, maybe I'd just play a clip, because it seems that, uh, you know, it's sort of parodying what's one angle or what's one dynamic that's going on in the yoga community, and it was pretty funny. Someone actually sent me the clip. And I thought it was very poignant that I had Shauna, who is a yoga teacher, who I think would think this was funny as well. And we talk a little bit about what's going on in the yoga world and how it's sort of just kind of blown up into this uh, big, big, huge monster of the yoga world. I mean, yoga is important. You need it. It's important. I need it. I don't practice enough. I'll admit that. I should do it more. But I have to say Bikram yoga was my, my jam. There's no Bikram out here, so uh, that's my excuse. And like everything, everyone's got an excuse, right? 
But uh, anyway, I want to play this clip real quick. It's pretty funny. It's from this new web series called Namaste Bitches. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Uh, I'll just play it and then we'll talk after. Here we go. Hey, I'm Gina. I started teaching here last year. And these are my senior instructors, Jesse and Ben. You taught in New York. Do you know Tara Styles? Not personally. Did you study with Dharma Mitra? Actually, I haven't had Dharma a Mitra is so cool. I went to Wanderlust, the world's biggest yoga festival. Yeah, I, I know what it is. And he and Rodney, you were there. It changed my life. Exactly. How many Instagram followers do you have? I choose not to hawk my teaching services on social media. Sabine, sweetie, here's the scoop. If you can build a following in five weeks, I might have a spot for you. Otherwise, we practice aviasa. Non-attachment to the outcome. Yeah. Got it. Can I see the studio? Uh, I'll show you. Thanks. Oh, was that funny? Was that funny for you? Did you did you think it was funny? Anyway, it gives a little window into, uh, you know, clearly these are some people that are trying to pick out the sense of humor within the yoga world, and I think it... Uh, kind of speaks to the climate of yoga and what's going on in that world. And we talk a little bit, Sean and I talked a little bit about that. Uh, I actually uh, mentioned a friend uh, uh, from New York who's uh, a constant poster on FB with uh, her yoga postures and yoga stuff. And it's uh, we talked about uh, the decision to do that and whether that's necessary or not. And But I guess the reality of it is I guess I get it. Uh, if that's what you're into, you know, Facebook reflects your face, what you're doing. So I guess that's no different than me posting pictures of me playing music or doing the podcast. But uh, nonetheless, we, we, we touch base on that. And you'll hear that in the conversation as well as uh, the story, which is really interesting how Shauna uh, came to yoga and uh, followed through with her vision of building the yoga room and her goals and her, uh, her hopes that the, you know, what the studio provides for the island. And that really is what the gist of the conversation is about, that it's open to everyone. And one thing I wanted to point out that uh, I think sometimes uh, people think that maybe the yoga room is for experienced yogis, but uh, it's for everyone. And she really wanted to get that message home that, uh, you know, the studio is for everyone, beginners and, and experts alike. And it's really helping the island build the yoga community. So with that being said, guys, let's uh, let's go to my conversation with Shauna Green of the Yoga. Show us your crooked jaw. Show us your wrinkled brow. Rise. He rises. So as long as you can see yourself, so this painting is your husband's Michael Rich, and I feel that it creates the flow. The idea is that this kitchen table is conversational, but mm -hmm. the energy mm. that's wonderful brings that. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I originally wanted Michael on the podcast, and you're becoming first. We will have your husband on. Oh, here. good. He'd love to do it. Yeah. So, okay. so at some point we we will. So. Okay. Shauna Green, thank you for sitting down on Inside the Whale. I was trying to think when I knew you were going to come on what I wanted to talk about. What What is the, the thing that within your story and who you are as a person and what you've done with the yoga room, but how do, how do we tell that story and what is the story within that and with what you do, being a yogi, 
Do you consider yourself a yogi? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I think the journey of you getting to that is the story. Mm -hmm. Yep. So how you got to yoga. How I got to yoga. So but before that, it's, you know, where you grew up, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. which was where? New York. I'm a New Yorker. New York City? Uh, I was born on Long Island, and I went to um, one of the first free public education uh, high schools in New York City, in Greenwich Village. Um, one of the liberal education schools that started to pop up in Greenwich Village in um, that time, way back when. And um, where, so where in the village? It was specific. on 12th, 12th Street between 6th and 7th Avenue. Oh, I know that school. Yeah, there's, well, there's, there was a little red schoolhouse, and then there was this high school that I went to, which was called Elizabeth Seeger School. It's not there now. It moved to Tribeca, but so there were two schools. Well, there's an elementary school between on 12th Street between now. Yeah, I oh, believe so. Okay, maybe. No, this was a this was a like a well, that might private, be Ele 11th Street. Okay, yeah, this was on 12th Street, and it moved to Tribeca, and it's since closed. But it what you know was in existence for you know a good 20 years, and. Um, so I, I commuted from Long Island on the LIRR from, from when I was 12 years old to go to high school from 12 to oh 17. And so what time um, would you get up? Would it be like 6 a.m.? I don't even remember. But, you know, there I was a little, like, I was small, too, and with all these businessmen taking the, the, <laughs> the, the commuter train, The commuter train you know. into Manhattan. Yeah, but my mother showed me how to, and then I took a subway on my own to get down to the, from Penn Station to the high school. To the high and, school. But Every, it was worth it. Yeah, I mean, it was like a hippie high school, but it was the perfect place for me. Was the curriculum different uh, than, like, was, a typical high it, school? Or? Yeah, it was much smaller. I graduated in a class of 12. 12. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay, I mean, so it was very super, individual. yeah, very individualized attention, very uh, creative teaching, one-on-one, uh, -on -one, and um, teachers came from a private prep school called Dalton, which I think is still in existence. Dalton is on the Upper East Side. Yeah, so these were former Dalton teachers who opened this high school. Okay. And, so, and it's defunct now. It's defunct now, but it was it, it was going, and it was great. It was the perfect thing for wow, me and to do. How did you find out about this school? Well... I didn't. My parents did. And I was is, in Long let's, Island let's talk going about your to. Parents. Okay. What did mom and dad do? Mom and dad were. My father was a doctor. Um, what kind he of was doctor? A neurologist, head doctor, neurologist, and my mother was a dancer. She was a ballet dancer in in New York for most of her life. Professionally. Professionally, she worked with the Metropolitan Opera Ballet for you know through her whole early adulthood. Met my father. Uh, continued to work in the in the Met. And then um, had babies and became a, a dance professor. And then they moved out to Long so Island. So she became actually a, a, a teacher, a, a teacher, dance teacher. A dance and she teacher. taught at Adelphi University, yeah. which is in Long Island. Yep. And my father was working as, at one of the local hospitals, North Shore Hospital. And, um, on Long Island. On Long Island. As a, was he a surgeon? Or? No, no, no. Just a, you know, an office doctor. But, gotcha. Um, so uh, then they had babies. I so was the very last professional baby. Parents. Yeah, very professional parents. I had, ba you know, I was the last baby. How many kids in your family? Two older. I have two older siblings, a brother okay. and a sister. And um, my mother continued. You know, my my mother. Uh, yeah, she she was she continued to work. Um, she was still teaching, but she took ballet class every morning of her life. So she would commute as well to New York City to take dance class every day maybe not Sundays and that was all the way she she ended up dying of cancer 
now it's been 30 years, but um, even when she was diagnosed for those months that she was sick and she could manage, she still took dance class every morning of her life. That was her thing. That was her thing. It was her love. It was her passion. And Now, who are, were her contemporaries? Now, if she was in the New York ballet scene, um, Mikhail Brezhnikov would have been later, right? Yes. Yeah, much later. Her contemporaries are not. Not around. Not around. Not around. Okay. Not around. Not around anymore. Yeah. So, and then my father passed away five years after she did. Um, Cancer as well. No, a heart disease, heart attack. Huh. So was he was he broken up when your mom yes. passed away? Yep. See, yep. this is the see, yeah. That's interesting. It was the love of hear, their life. It was just they were in yeah, the true true love of life. Yeah. It was he was that's he so became, sad because you hear mess. about that people yeah. die of literally they call it a broken heart. Yeah. It's a medical term. Yeah. I mean, he already had emphysema. He already had medical issues, but he just plummeted. You know, my mother was his his rock, and so. Wow! And how did they meet? What was the I story? I don't. I think somebody. Yeah, somebody from the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra, who my mother was good friends with, introduced them. I don't know. Somehow they were introduced. Huh. I really don't know the story, but it was an unlikely coupling. But they you know, were two, two halves a, of a whole heart. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you don't hear that a lot. No. No. So, so it was very. It was a nice home. The parents, yeah. there was oh, love yeah. and affection. Yeah, love and affection, and you know, I mean, I'm sure a certain amount of emotional stuff in terms of emotional neglect. Well, he was part. a neurologist. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a very um, specific type yes, of doctor. Yes, but my parents. Um, I was going to a, a big public uh, a middle school out in Long Island, and I got into some trouble. <laughs> I got in into, middle school. Yeah, I was. I got. I started taking some um, substances. Substances then that were. What year is this? This is. I was like. I was. How old was I? Um, twelve. Yeah, I was eleven, twelve. Yeah, I was pretty early, and um, and I wasn't heavily into it, but I think they just looked at me. Well, and middle thought, school. Yeah, they is just a- thought I needed a different kind of educational environment. And so they looked around and found this this private this private new uh, new type of curriculum, alternative alternative education. education, and they thought that my personality would suit them. So we so I went. So you go to high school. So and I then, go to high school, and, and I do very well. And, and what are you, are you dancing? I'm dancing. Yeah, I or ballet yeah, or yeah, my modern. sister and I. No, we we both became ballet dancers too. So we followed wow. in my mother's footsteps. But I did, they always wanted me to go to college, so I, um, I, got, I got into Bennington in Vermont. I got into Barnard College in Manhattan and NYU, and I decided to go to Bennington for my first year of college, um, where they had a supposedly a really good dance department. I went went up there for my first year, but was very unhappy. The dance department was wasn't what you thought. Uh, no, it was modern, and I was a ballet dancer, so it didn't suit me at all. And there's a rift within that little community, right? Yeah, modern dance versus ballet. Well, right? it's just you know, if you're a ballet dancer, you don't want to do modern, particularly. I mean, not I didn't at that point. Now, right. if you had asked me a few years later, I would have said, "Great, I love it," but not <laughs> then. You know, I was very into ballet. So I and I was at Bennington was very precious and very avant-garde and I just didn't like the whole scene up there. So I would 
come down to New York City uh, whenever I had a break from Bennington. And at the same time that I would come down, the dance studio, which I was a part of, my mother's dance studio, my sister, had started to form a ballet company. Oh, so you were going to this dance studio that your mom yes, had yeah, started? Yes, yeah, we all, yeah, no, 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 she or was she, just part she was of, just in yeah, part there was of. a matriarch that was the dance, the big dance guru, and she had, she was my mother's teacher for years. She became my sister's teacher and my teacher. So I continued to go down to that studio, okay. and then they started to form a dance company. And then, so while I was going back and forth from Bennington during my, like, breaks, the studio you would use, I mean, the little company they were forming would start to use me as a body to to dance, you know, to choreograph. And so I really was getting very attached to this idea of being a ballerina, you know, or being a, a professional dancer. Professional dancer. So I transferred back to Barnard College for my second year, which is, as you know, up. it was separate from um, Columbia. I mean, you, they were not matriculated, but you could take courses in both. So I got into Barnard. So I went there for my second year and started to work with this little dance company. And as sort of a part-time thing, the end of my second year of college, the dance company asked me if I would work with them. You know, would I become a member? And so I went to my parents and I said, listen, I have this opportunity to dance. You know, I'm young. I can't do it 10 years from now. I'd like to take a leave of absence. And my parents were like, okay, do it now. Get it out of your system. Which is exactly what I had to do, you know, because right. there's, not, there's no longevity in being a ballerina. So no, and that was one of the things yeah. I was gonna. Yeah, say no, it's a, a pernicious world too. It's a, it's such a destructive, very world. very cutthroat. Yeah, competitive and just very um, for females. You know, it's yeah. it's very damaging. You know, in terms of needing to be a certain body. You know, having a certain body and you know promoting. A lot of de- eating disorders and, and the just, time commitment yeah. too. Oh, I mean, just, what were your days like? The rehearsals and the and yeah, the- it was it was intense. But you know, I did it for so I took a leave of absence. And I did it for three years. I was dancing with this little company. I lived in um, Soho. I got an apartment at Soho, and um, and you know, it was it was a great experience for me. I learned a lot, and um, but you know, I I did re. After a while, I realized that I was losing a lot of my love of dancing because I was trying so hard to make it. To make it as a dancer, yeah. to support yourself. Yeah, and I with and dance. I and my mother, who had done it, said to me, "No, you don't want that kind of life." She met a doctor who took care of her. You know, I, she said, "You don't. You're not." I was waiting on tables. <laughs> what so are you was, doing dancing? Yeah, you gotta yeah, meet a doctor. doctor. Yeah, good Jewish. <laughs> I don't know, know why I, ha- I went yeah. into the uh, well the, because the I, I do come from deli. that. I do come from that. Um, what do you want to dance for? Well, no, I mean, they recognized that it was a lot, but my mother was like, both my parents were like, you know, just do it because you love it, but find something else you can make your living at. And so after three years, I decided I got to go back, get my degree. I didn't know what. So, um, but I went back to NYU because uh, I live downtown. And also uh, NYU has a department that's called University Without Walls. And it caters towards people going back to school after they've been out a while, and you get like a general liberal arts. You don't is have to sort declare of like the a major. continuing education. Yeah, early, kind of pre. Con- yeah, yeah, kind of. I mean, you don't have to declare a major. You do have to fulfill your requirements. Mm-hmm. But they also allowed you to take what you had if you were out of school for a while, and if you could put together a portfolio that. Um, somehow connected what you had done as life experience to college courses, they gave you credit for it. Gotcha. So I, I did that. I took those three years of dancing, I put together a huge portfolio, and I got 30 credits. So I actually graduated college in three and a half years instead of four. With a degree from NYU? Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. So I have basically a general BA, gotcha. you know, with a emphasis on performing arts, whatever that means. I know. And yeah. it's interesting now thinking yeah. about it would, yeah. I was a BA in history. Oh, really? Yeah. And oh my God. it's just, depending on what your career path is, it's that sort of degree is very, uh, broad broad yeah exactly exactly <laughs> you know and do looking back on it did I have to go from what I'm who I am now as an adult did I need that education specifically and right I don't I think it's arguable yeah I don't I mean I'm glad I did and it you know it made my parents happy. they wanted me to have that degree and um gotta I became, make mom and dad yeah, happy yeah, yeah, yeah. did you make them happy uh I hope so <laughs> you know now now that they're gone I hope I did um isn't that funny how we spend so much time yeah, trying to... Yeah, I think I'm still trying to make my parents happy. Yeah. Uh, well, I think they would be very happy to see where I've come. I think, you know, I had a lot of troubled years right after I graduated. So, or actually through through that last year in NYU. And is this what leads up to the yoga? Yeah. All right. Well, let's yeah. hear about it. Let's okay. what... So... Um, when did you start getting into trouble? I, I you know, towards my... Um, my last year of college. Um, you know, what I had was a, going on? Well, I had a love affair that, you know, broke up and, um, and it was just completely, Tumultuous. it was devastating for me. It was like my first big love affair. He uh, broke up with you? Yes. Left me and, name. um, huh? Name? We, name? First uh, name. We don't have to name. Okay. Paul. We'll call him Paul. Paul. Yeah. And, um, so I, I, and I was working as a waitress in New York and I, what restaurant? I, I worked at Sounds of Brazil. Did you know that restaurant? SOBs. It was down. Oh, SOBs. Yes. SOBs. In, on Hudson Street. Yes. Yes. I, I, do. I got, I was the one of, I worked there when they first opened. I knew the owner. SOBs. Yeah. 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 So right I there did, in Hudson yeah, Street. Yeah. Exactly. And so I, I, were, I was working in a nightclub and, yeah. and suddenly, uh, yeah, cocktailing and waitressing, and suddenly I was surrounded by a lot of cocaine, and, and um, w- yeah, and and I was in a very vulnerable place. So after the breakup, after after the breakup, yeah, and so I, um, you know, started to to indulge more than I should have, and it uh, led me down a pretty pretty hard path. That nightlife, and mm-hmm. I can say this having lived in New yeah. York and having friends, when you're trying to make it and you're in, slugging out in New York, that sort of element is just a, a big, big beast that's just lurking there. And it's, it's just there. If yeah. You're, if, if you're, you're ripe for it, it's like it if just... If you're in your 20s yeah. or maybe right out of college, you're working your job, you don't yeah. have a lot of money, your your day starts at 8 and you're up till 3 and you're doing that grind. But the, And what happens in the really hot clubs, and SOBs was a pretty hot club. Oh, it was big, yes. Is you're, you're, you're staying out, you're keeping that lifestyle up because the money starts. You start making pretty good money because yeah. it's a hot club. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then you're going out. And I saw a lot of people when I was in New York that were following that path. Was the it was the after hours? You'd finish work at, oh, at two or three, and this is New York City. And you still have till four a.m. to go out and have your shit. You know, your after, and that's when the partying happens. Oh yeah, yeah. So oh sh- yeah. Oh, there was a ton of that. There was a ton of that. But I was, you know, I was just more kind of lost. I was working as also I was apprenticing as a graphic designer. I just kind of chose that because after dancing, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And so I apprenticed with a graphic designer and was somehow managing to do some of that. Um, but I, I mean, I kind of had a hole in my soul. I mean, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do. And there was a lot of, as as goes with a lot of uh adolescence and then early adulthood a lot of low self-esteem and then the breakup just sort of fed into that and so how old were you at that point I was um 20 21 so you're really young yeah 20 21 
And, uh, you know, the next number of years, um, you know, I continued to wait tables and I stayed in New York. Um, I was, I was, I pretty, pretty lost. I mean, emotionally, I mean, there was, there was alcohol involved too, you know, the drugs and the alcohol. I finally. Was it just cocaine and, and booze? Yep. 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 And I, f- I finally, uh, ended up, I would just, I became so, uh, run down that I was, uh, I had pneumonia and I was in the hospital and that what, from that point on, I didn't do any more drugs. So that was, however, you know, I was like 20. So I, I didn't touch drugs after I was 21, but I did, but it was like fast and furious, you know, but, um, you know, I still didn't, I tried to get some help, but I wasn't, I wasn't really, uh, it never really clicked for me. And I just kind of found this rhythm in New York life. I was, I was working at an advertising agency as a graphic designer. So you actually got a job as a graphic designer. What was the agency? Um, it was CES. It was it was a publishing company, CES Publishing, computer, okay. uh, computer electronics magazine. Was it Madison Ave? No, or? it was so down on Park Avenue in the twenties. Okay. And so I was there working that job for about three or four years and living in my Soho apartment. But you know, I was still self medicating and not very happy. And um, my mother then became sick and. Um, with cancer and she passed away after we found out in January that she was sick and then she passed away in November. So that, that wow, was that's very fa- What kind of cancer? Pancreatic. That the slow and, killer. Yes. So I spent a lot of that year, you know, I mean, but I was using alcohol to kind of get through it all. Of course. And, um, and her, her passing away was pretty profound for me because I, I was still such a, like a kid and a lost kid that, you know, I felt like now, what now, what am I going to do? And, and you, she, you looked up to your mom. Yeah. She, she was, was a powerful, of... she was a powerful figure in my life. She was a very, uh, very, uh, strong, um, determined, um, dedicated, uh, worker and, and she just had a grace and an elegance to her that was, you know, anybody who met her would have said that about her. And and because I think as a young woman, you know, I wanted my mother, you know, I wanted, I didn't want to lose my mother. And that be, that's always, you know, now 30 years later, I'm still, there's days that I'm still in tears that I don't have my mother around. To, about, where you do know. you think she got that from? Um, I don't know. She was self-educated. You know, she didn't have enough money. She was poor. They didn't have enough money, money to send her to college. So she educated herself and she just was very self-motivated. You know, she started to read Chaucer and she started book clubs and she became fascinated with Oriental art, loved opera, had a greenhouse, loved gardening. And, you know, but she, huh. she just put her heart and soul into everything. Love flower. Did she grow up in Long Island as well? or No, she grew up in New Jersey. In New Jersey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, anyway, her passing was hard and, and I had begun to, one of my dearest friends from New York, who I worked in one of another restaurant with, had ended up wandering up the East Coast and landed in Nantucket. Ah. And this, this is how the Nantucket <laughs> Interesting. comes in. So she was my best friend, Carol Green. And, um, Carol's she, like, come out to Nantucket. Yeah, well, so I started to come up to Nantucket to visit Carol. She made her life here, and this was my vacation spot in Nantucket. And um, Now, what year was this when you uh, first came up with Carol? Gosh. I would say it was, um, so it was before my mother passed away in the 80s. 
in the early 80s, I don't know, 83, 82. I always ask, like now I have to, my next, I always yeah. ask my guests this because I always, very interested people's first impressions. Tell me about when you first got here. What what are some of your, do you remember some of your oh, impressions of the I, island? Oh yeah. I, this was Tell me about, like, magic, just complete magic. I, I, I was in New York City, at that point I was a real diehard New York City person. I mean, I didn't see much green. So I came up here and the whole, like, the fog, the mist, the ocean, t- was so new to me. I mean, even though I wasn't a sheltered girl, I went to the beach and my parents were very cultured. And But I didn't, the, the experience of being in Nantucket was transformative to me. I mean, so this, when I come up for vacations and I would be just blissed out. You know, I'd walk <laughs> down in Sconset and take a bike ride. I just, I loved it here. I was just, I thought there's something very magical about this place. And I, I ended up meeting a lot of, you know, making good friends here through Carol. She got married here. And so, you know, I be- I met a lot of her friends who, oddly enough, are still here. Is Carol uh, still out no, here? No, Carol's not. She, they moved out to Seattle. Um, Carol, where are you? Carol Green. She her her uh, her uh, husband, who ex husband's family is the Glidden family. So, oh, okay. All right. So they're, gotcha. yeah, they're they're still around. And I'd Peter so. Glidden is a naturopath, and he lives in I think it's Chicago now. But she married Peter Glidden, so he was one of oh, the Glidden. Okay. And they moved out to Seattle because he went to uh, school for a naturopath. And, and she was into massage and did various things. But we, we haven't kept up. But she, as far as I know, is out there. And she's so, the reason that she... She's the reason I'm here. So when my mother passed away, you know, that next following year, I just felt like I needed a life change. I needed to be in... My quality of life needed to change. I didn't really care about my career, but I needed to be in a beautiful environment. I felt like I had been the victim of a crime in Nant- in um, New York, New York City. Um, not, a, not, not a good crime. Not a good crime, yeah. That, I think, set me back, and I needed to... So um, your mom passes away, and then you're a victim of a... Uh, it actually was before my mother passed away. Yeah. Close though? Yeah, within within a year. Yeah. And so it was it, it a life-changing event. Yeah, it was a life-changing event. And um so I f- I was just feeling like I need to be in a less hostile environment and the only place I knew of was Nantucket and Carol was still here at that point. And so I sublet my apartment and my father was still alive and everyone thought I was nuts. My fam, my brother, sister, my father, they're what? like, you're like, you're what? You're, you're leaving New York city for Nantucket. For Nantucket. Do they have a, like, do they have a store there? Will you be able to get food? <laughs> I mean, this is the mentality. As you know, you're from New York. I mean, yeah, I had, I just, I had a very, my parents, when I first told them yeah. in 2010, when I first came out here, I was going to yeah. do the exact, I, yeah. I was like, I need a change from New York. And yeah. I told my parents, I was going to sublet my apartment. Same and, thing. And, that, yeah. and they're like, what do you do? Wait, Nantucket, what do you, and I told them I was living in a shack. They're like, you're living in a shack? You know what my mom's response, this is, I'm embarrassed to admit this publicly, but my mom, when I told her I was landscaping, she said, Doug, you have a college degree. <laughs> she, she, you know, like landscaping was a little below. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, to this day, I was, I was like, you know, 
the, that's some of the baggage that as an adult I'm still sorting through of that course. somehow me landscaping was a reflection on them sure but moving to Nantucket was this sort of like what are you doing like like that's not the real world that's not what that you're gonna go to Nantucket this yeah. just doesn't make any sense no. and that's what everybody said to me but I was like I need a break and I took a job at a little local store it's not around anymore it was called Nantucket Surroundings it was in Key Post Corner Debbie Posner it was one of her shops she owned another place in town called Beautiful People so I went from a job at a publishing house at that time I was making like $25,000 a year which was pretty good for somebody as for young as I am yeah. yeah. um, then to working at this little shop for $3 an hour. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> but I had been given, um, I, through a friend of Carol's, owned the centerboard uh, guest house. It would just opened. And she offered me housing if I would manage her guest house. So I came up here not having to pay for housing. So that was the other part. So I lived at the centerboard guest house. And I was sort of the manager there. I worked at the store, $3 an hour. And, you know, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll stay in it two years. I sublet my apartment, and I'll go back to New York. And as the saying goes, never left. You know, after two years, <laughs> I gave up my apartment in New York and stayed in Nantucket. So to that the was, chagrin of your mom and dad. You know, yeah. I was just thinking, it's hard. If my, if you have professional, professional parents, mm-hmm. and uh, my mom's a teacher, my dad's an insurance salesman, it's hard for them to grasp the idea of you working out of that framework that they're wired to and it's hard for them to accept that I think yeah. oh That's absolutely probably what it- well my mother was gone but my father you know who was sort of plummeting at that point but you know I think he came to visit me here so he did see my life here before he passed away and he could appreciate I mean I was I I was much happier when I got here and things I found a nice nucleus of friends and I started to feel a little less isolated. It's amazing that in this tiny island I felt less less isolated than I did in New York City because I think New York as a single person I was so commuter oriented that I'd work, go home to my apartment and I didn't feel as um as taken care of. But when I got to Nantucket, I felt like I really became part of a community, uh, which I still do feel. I mean, I feel that this has a powerful community spirit that is very unique. And um, strong. It's strong. And um, so I really resonated with that, and I didn't want to leave. You know, I made, I, I was renting here after I left the guest house and had to do the Nantucket shuffle for years. But I just gave up my my Manhattan roots, and um, this became my home. And it started in 1987. So, so now, Tyus, and where does the yoga come into play? So um, the yoga came in. Um, I was, I had, let's see, I guess I had bought my home. I bought the home on Fairgrounds Road when I, my, so my father passed away, left me, you know, left all the kids a little bit of a nest egg that he earmarked for a down payment. He always wanted to be able to help each kid with a down payment. So I wisely invested that money. Smart, smart move. Smart. And right before the market turned, like so 90-ish or, yeah, or no, 93, I started to look for a home here and found the house on Nantucket, which had a rental house, and bought it with the f- money my father left me. And um, and then I was with another man at that time. I was with for a number of years. And a friend of his was doing yoga. I forget where. And so I started to do it because I, I had already started to do aerobics here. I become an aerobic. I skipped a big part, but I was an aerobics teacher here and a fitness person. I became a personal trainer. So that is how I, I worked in restaurants, and I made my living doing aerobics and personal training. 
During the step craze? During the step craze, yes. Exactly. <laughs> you were Nantucket's premier yeah. step. Yeah, yeah, I was. And so Is I, that over, by the way? No, it's still, as far as I know, it's still going on. It was on. a craze, oh, though, Yeah, right? I don't think it's as popular. I don't think it's as popular. Step in bars, right? Yeah. You'd have the bar and you'd step up and... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You did weights on... Yeah, yeah. And I did all that. I was a very perky aerobics teacher, which is so not what I am now. So it's, it's really strange to look back on, but, um, so what changed? I, yeah. Oh, <laughs> me. I think I found, you know, I still was struggling with some, uh, substance, uh, substance you know, alcohol, alcohol, uh, alcohol during, you know, after my father died, it was particularly the, like the, the, I, I would say the, uh, beginning of the end for me. Um, I just, you know, being an orphan suddenly and being here and, 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 um, were you like a like half a dr- couple drinks a day, or was it uh, like it was pretty it was, heavy? It, well, it wasn't heavy in the sense I'm a tiny person. It was just for the wrong reasons. Gotcha. You know, not not you know. I knew I was using it as a crutch. So, um, see, that's the moment that's interesting when yeah. you're like, I'm using this. Oh yeah, I I knew this it was an a, issue. I mean, I I had no doubts. No, was, was there is there alcoholism in your family? Yes, yes, there is. Both sides. Um, no, my father's side. My father, my father was. Uh, un undiagnosed alcohol functioning functioning highly functioning yeah up until the end god there's yeah. so much of that yeah yeah he was it's part yeah. of so many family history oh yeah it is it is and you know now that i'm married and i see how much of it's on my husband's side of the family as well and so i went um i was still struggling with that i i I had this, I'm trying to figure out the whole chronology of it, but I had this relationship that broke up with this man when I bought my house um, that broke up that too was heartbreaking, but I was, or I had uh, gotten sober I, before that. Um, and thank God I had that, but I started to, I decided to take myself off to Boston for a winter. I sublet my, my house I, and I went up to Boston and my sister, my older sister who lives in New York City happens to be a yoga teacher too. She started way before I did. And she told me, um, "Go, you're in Boston. I want you to go find Patricia Walden, who's a very famous yogini. Um, she teaches in Boston, and go study with her. She's going to help you." Because I was again heartbroken, and it was something I needed. So you go to, to Boston f- to meet. Yeah. So I I started to study yoga very seriously while I was in Boston, living there for six months. This was in um, I don't know ninety ninety seven ninety eight something like that. 98, 99, some, somewhere and around there. Was, was she a big name in the yoga? Big name, yeah. Yeah, very big name. And um, I I fell in love with it. I was like, oh When you my say God. study, I just want I yeah. want to get a sense. Is, is it like a, I mean, obviously, they're the postures and stuff, but is Yeah, it, they talk about yoga as study because it's a practice. So, right? you, so you're you basically know, practicing every just day. Just practicing. You know, there's no, there's no you get there and you're done right yoga is a practice it's something that is ongoing evolving yeah i mean you you know you progress in your practice but you don't it's not all physical you know you progress also in terms of how much you know and how much you integrate into your life and that's a huge part of yoga but at that point it was just the physical discipline of getting my body into the postures and the and breathing pranayama which we call pranayama um is a huge part of it and just being able to connect to what was going on inside me in a kinesthetic way, which gotcha. I was used to because I was a dancer. So it was the first thing that well, really a, a touched connection. me, you know, that I had a powerful connection with since my dancing days. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, this is transformative. And, and in a way that dancing wasn't because the way yoga served me was that I was really accessing 
this kind of emotional therapy through my body. That dancing was just a pure expressive thing for me that I loved. But the yoga became a way of really like working out whatever I was dealing with through the yoga. This is cliche, but yes. it's connecting the body and the mind. Yeah, of course. Of you course. Know, yeah. Yeah. So, and it, and it's what I needed at that time. And there it was. So when I got back to Nantucket after that hiatus, I decided I'm going to become a yoga teacher. I'm already a teacher. I teach aerobics. I had been a dance teacher after my ballet years. So I thought I can be, why not just, you know, teach something that else that I really now resonate with. So I went off and I got um, certified at Kripalu, which is a center in Western, Western Mass. Mass. And, um, and, but I started to teach right away because I, I, all ha- I had the techniques of being a teacher already, but I just needed to learn the yoga vocabulary, so to speak. So even when I was at Kripalu, I'd come back and I started to teach. The first place I taught on island was Darcy Creech's Hat Shop, which she was one of my students and she was closed during the winter. So she said, why don't you use my hat shop for a little yoga space? And it held like seven, seven or eight bodies. And that's where I started. And I remember Noel Berry and Paul Bruno were my first, two of my first students. And they had already done a lot of yoga on the island with Sherry um, Perlman, and, but they came to study with me and I started there. And then it just took off. Then I started to you know, find other spaces to rent on the island um, to teach in. And I, at that point, I wasn't, I really made the transition where I didn't do, I wasn't doing any more aerobics or, or certainly any more restaurant work. I had stopped that a while ago. And, um, you know, I had my house and then let's see what happened. Um, I, I was just getting ready actually to think about maybe finding a way to be off Island during the winters because I was single and, and there I was in my late 30s and not thinking that Nantucket in the winters was a great place for me to be. <laughs> and But I had my house, so I thought I'll come back in the summers. And then I met my husband, who I had known years ago. He had been on island years ago. His family has roots here. Uh, but he was up working for the summer as a carpenter. He's He was an artist. He's an artist. And... Um, we can say his name, Michael, Michael Rich. Rich. Michael, Michael Rich, Rich, yes. And, and we should. Where I'm looking at his beautiful painting right here. One of in our, your house. We have one of Michael Rich's sitting yes, right behind right, us, right. which uh, is featured in the End Magazine. You is can, it? Yeah, you, well, you can see it. In oh, okay. The, oh, great. I think he commented um, on it. So he was he was in um, teaching down at Savannah College of Art and Design at the time, but he would come up to Nantucket to work as a carpenter to make a lot of money, and so I we reconnected this summer and he when we knew each other before, we had both been with different people in relationship, but this summer we met each other, we were both single, and that was that was it. It was huh. off and running, and he ended up um, moving back north, because I didn't want to move to Savannah, so he moved back north um, the following summer to live with me on Nantucket, and he got a job in Providence, Rhode Island, at, one of the, at the university in Bristol, Rhode Island. So we knew he had that position in Rhode Island, but he lived in Nantucket with me during that summer. And that's when we stood out on the back porch of my house and we looked at the backyard, which was all just wild. And he said, why don't we build a studio? We'll build a yoga room for you and we'll build an art studio above it for me. <laughs> and he actually took out a little pad of paper and he did this very simple, simple sketch, which we still you have. You still have. We still have it. And he said, it could be like this. And I was like, 
okay, yeah, how are we going to get money for that? And somehow, I mean, that sketch turned into what was the yoga room, not even like one year later. I mean, we conceived and of what this. Year, what, what year was so that? So this was 2000. 2000. Wow, okay. And yeah, 2000. And we opened our doors. The yoga room opened May 2001. And you had never, at that point, run a yoga studio. No, no, no. I had never run a yoga studio, but I needed a place to teach, and he needed an art studio. And to this day, I'm like, how did we make that happen? So I was renting um, the Preservation Institute on Center Street, that big space. Do you know that big space? Beautiful space. I was renting that for the winter, teaching yoga classes. And by then, I had made sort of a name for myself. So my classes were big. That's where I met your lovely other half. Amy, <laughs> Amy Pallenberg came Amy. to my classes at that time. And literally, we were building, we had started to build the yoga room. And I was charging, I remember charging $10 a class, and it was all cash. That's all I accepted. And literally, I was taking every $10 bill and throwing it under my mattress to put towards the building of this yoga room. And everyone knew I was building a yoga studio. So people were coming to support me and coming to take class. And um, Michael was living in Providence, you know, teaching, but he'd come out as much as he could. And... um, you know, I had just this community was so beautiful. I mean, I had so many people show up for the yoga room and do barter work with me. And, you know, Amy, I, I'm, you know, going to just tout her again years later, was just a jewel in the whole process. She came to me um, and said, you know, I'm starting my own kind of landscaping business, which I want to promote more feng shui landscaping. And I'd love to design your property for you as sort of, uh, you know, pro bono as yeah. my showcase piece, and which was, she's good at what she does, and she did, and she <laughs> she, she I, I would say, she had, had is as much responsible for what the yoga room became as the guy who built it. I mean, and and our vision because she really she would come spend time with Michael and I in the when we were framing the building and we'd stand upstairs and she'd look down and she'd say, so what kind of feeling do you want to the place? And she did the artistry that she put into the property and it continues. I mean, it's just a gorgeous, uh, it's just a gorgeous piece that she produced. And, yeah, well, um, the, this, the vibe of the energy of the yoga room is clearly, uh, it's, it, it is. It's, it's exactly what I wanted. I mean, and I, and I, I don't feel like I did very much. I feel like I just entrusted it into these golden hands. Um, <laughs> you know, and my husband had a lot to do with, he found the, the general contractor who was a friend of his to oversee it. And then Michael ended up doing a lot of finished work. And my framer is my next door neighbor who, you know, gave me a break because I paid him cash over time. I, that $10 I was being paid, I'd go throw to Ray St. Peter when I could, you know, and he was great. You know, he's like, there's the community helping you. I don't, yeah, because the bank did not give me enough money. And somehow I, somehow we made it work. We, we just made it work. And I had just such good people. And within, yeah, we broke ground in September of 1999 and we opened May 1st to, no, uh, 2000 and opened May 1st, 2001. So I was, you mentioned something about uh, Carol, Perlman was doing. I, I wanted to talk to wh- Sherry, Sherry. Sherry Perlman, so who was before Sherry. Before yeah. you entered, I, I, I'm curious to know a little bit about the yoga community. So Sherry, where, where were people doing yoga? Yeah. And, and well, Sherry, 
gosh, I can't even believe I'm forgetting her maiden name. I've known her as Sherry Perlman for so long. She was teaching yoga. She's She was the one that I know of that really brought you. I mean, since I was here. Since you were here. Yeah, she started doing yoga. She was Kripalu trained originally, and then she did different styles. And she's still teaching, and she's just a, she's a beautiful teacher. And um, I took a lot of her classes, too, when I was just newly getting trained. And she was teaching at different locations, one on Main Street. and then But she, never a proper space. It was always makeshift um, spaces. Well, yeah, places that she would set up. And then and then in the last number of years, she's been teaching, well, she's been, she teaches now at Dharma Yoga out in uh, Bartlett Farm for Joanne. But she, um, she did have a space in her home which she did private yoga, you know, like little classes for a long time. Yeah. But she's, you know, she's wonderful because I feel like she really introduced a lot of the community to yoga. And um, Paul Bruno, who's one of my teachers, and Noel had studied with Sherry for years. And Paul was, I have to credit Paul with also being a tremendous help to me when, um, before I got trained to do yoga, but when I was studying it, they had been doing, he and Noel had been doing aerobics with me. And he, we were at a cocktail party, and he loves this story, but we were at a cocktail party, and I was uh, serving, I was working, and Paul and Noel were there as guests, and I was serving them hors d'oeuvres, and I knew them, of course, and they said, okay, Shauna, we want you to become a yoga teacher. We want you to become a yoga teacher, and I'll never forget that, and and I mean, partly that, but partly my love of it, I decided to go get trained, so Paul and Noel were very loyal and, and followed me, and then Paul, when I became pregnant, he said, and I had already opened the yoga room, we had been open about a year, and then I was pregnant, and he thought, oh, your husband lives in Providence, you're pregnant, you have a studio here, he thought, you're going to need some help, <laughs> so um, Paul said, I, I'm going to go get trained, I love yoga, I've been doing it now, and I want to be able to help you at the yoga room, so Paul Bruno went and got trained, and true to his word, came back and became a very dear and important part of my studio, and continues to be. Yeah, I mean, the yoga room really has really supported the community, and you've seen the community of yoga on Nantucket grow. Oh, I my mean, gosh, it's and, huge. And I, I, yeah. I, I really did want to talk to you a little bit about that, because I'm very curious on some of your opinions about the way the yoga world has just blown almost to uh, a caricature of itself. And I say that because there's a, a I think it's a, a series uh, coming out called... Um, Yoga bitches. Oh yeah, I think I've heard of and that. So, yeah. and, and, and but it, you know, it, it's a comedy. But it, what it does, it hits a nerve. I think of parodying the yoga community and all the stuff that's happened. There's so many people, and I'd love to know your opinion on this. There's so many, and in New York, I have friends, and I, I immediately think of this one person that I know from New York who's constantly trying to be this yoga guru, and she's posting all the time, and it's. I feel like there's so much attention of people trying to be these, this thing. And I was curious on your opinion about what you, where you feel the present state of yoga is. Is it in a good place or a bad place because of the popularity? Well, I think it's a, you know, it's a mixed bag. Um, I, think, I think any attention to yoga is going to be good. Whatever brings people to the practice of yoga is a good thing. Um, you know, it's true that it has morphed into something that is uh, not what 
people, the the Hindis in, in India would say is yoga. I mean, I believe they probably look at what we do in the West and laugh and say, you know, that's not yoga. Um, for the most part, although, you know, there's so many different forms of yoga and and now there's all these nouveau types of yoga, whether it's yoga fit or yoga in this or, you know, um, and I try not to be a snob about it because, again, I, I want to make it accessible to people. And I think, you know, I want a person who may be a skeptical to come try yoga. And if you make it too esoteric or you start to ascribe all these um uh, spiritual attributes that maybe aren't going to resonate with people, I think you're going to end up um, driving people away. So as a yoga teacher who really has studied a lot of the classical texts of yoga and, and really believes in the traditions of yoga and wants to uphold the, the parts of yoga that aren't as popular, I, I do want to do that and I feel it's important for me to teach that and I try and do it in my teaching as well. I also want to invite anybody to come to yoga so that if if you want to come because you want a yoga body, great, come to yoga. If you want to come because you're tight in your hips and you're a runner and that's the only reason you want to do come to yoga is to stretch, great, come to yoga. If you're too stressed out and you think just being in a yoga class is going to help you, great, come to yoga. So I want to I kind of want to look at at least what I do and make it as welcoming as possible. But I think that unfortunately, um, a lot of yoga that is taught is reduced down to um, something that it, it's that really is not yoga. Okay, I let mean, me give you an example. This girl posts yeah. pictures every second of her, like, she, here's me in Starbucks, and she's doing a headstand. Yeah. And then here's her JFK terminal, and she's po- and it's just... To me, it's it's very transparent, and I'm like, this isn't, from what I know of yoga, the mindfulness and the 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 connection that you're that is yoga. This isn't it to me. No, well, then you're right. It's a you're little, right. it's a little calculated. It's it's like, are you trying to get Instagram followers? Or are you really trying to practice yoga? Because you know what's more powerful, and th- and this is my opinion, just being and just doing it. And if yeah. you're if you're into that, go for it. Right. But we don't need it every two seconds no, well, and it's not about appearance it has nothing to do with the posture i mean that's the the big thing is our bodies are going to age they're going to get old we can't do as much <laughs> as, so it's really not about that posture it's really about how you live i mean the yoga practice is about how we live our lives and ultimately yoga is about self-realization if you're going to choose one word it's about self-realization and through self-realization how do how do I make choices for my life that will impact the world positively I mean that's how I see yoga so I agree with you like I don't post any pictures myself I was gonna bring that up and I I really think that I don't you know, you did, there aren't. I went to your I, I, website. Number one, I'm not a I'm not a Facebook person, and I'm not I'm not a social media person, um, and I also have no inclination to show myself in a posture because my yoga is not about me. My teaching is not about me. It's about how I live, but it's not about pictures of me or you know what I. I mean, and it's fine. I'm speaking for myself, so I'm not saying that I don't want to judge anybody that posts a picture of themselves, because you know that's fine. But I I. That's just not who I am, and um, and I think that a lot of people that do post are, are very, you know, are definitely live the practice of yoga, and some don't, and I think it's well, just think, apparent, you well, know? what I'm speaking of, and I think what we're touching on is it's the climate of the, yeah. the bigger... Yeah, it's the bigger, the bigger climate the bigger of yoga. The bigger climate yeah. of yoga, in, right, we can right. just, is all these people 
that are have found yoga, which is amazing, and, yeah. it, and it serves them so deeply. And I get that that they want to just profound yeah, that new and, that and, excitement. And sometimes that's very that's very authentic. So again, I want to sp- everybody has their own personality that surrounds their practice and their teaching of it. Um, but I think there are within this big, big, big world of yoga that we live in now. There's a lot of um, misguided. Misguided I immediately teaches. just thought of Bikram Chandri. Who's, oh, yeah. Who's... I mean, a lot of the, like you spoke about gurus. Like, that's where, like, a guru is something that is, it spells trouble to me. Because, you know, the, we have some classical examples of, of gurus in, in, my, in my day and age who have, have wreaked havoc, you know. And who, who was one that you're thinking uh, well, of? Well, Kripalo is Amrit Desai. Who and I ended, don't know his story. Okay, well. He he was he brought Kripalu down, started in um, I think Pennsylvania, and then moved up to Lenox, Mass. And if after all these years, and he had you know he had a he had an ashram, he had a, a followers and people who had pledged their their life to this guy, and they found out that he was sleeping with all his his students, and and it caused a huge huge break in the whole tradition of Kripalu, and and that's when Kripalu became something completely different. But more than that, it really destroyed a lot of people's lives who had really put a lot of faith in this man. Uh, John Friend from the Anusara community most recently, as of a few years ago, same thing. Uh, Bikram Chudri is a kind of an egotistical maniac, which I I can say about him. Yeah, I don't say that lightly. I, pr- but I, I like the practice. Yeah, that was my yeah, that was yoga. your practice. That yeah. was my practice, yeah. and I, I really, you know, was able to separate the man from the practice. Right. And some people weren't, and that's a personal thing. Yeah. Right. Well, that's fine. Yeah. I, do I think he, he's an egotistical pig? I would say the signs yeah. point to yeah, yeah, but I was able to separate that, and even the my instructor Trisha was able to do that. You know, she sure. she was a fantastic. Ran a great studio that I miss. And I'm, you know, but I guess back to what we're talking about was that this sort of empowerment of the yoga, you know, cult of personality. Yeah. Is, can be dangerous. Yeah. Yes, it can. And it's interesting because the yoga community, you know, it it has this element there that can, if you have people that find yoga as everybody does, if you're searching, something's going on Mm -hmm. in your life and that, that yoga starts filling that void. It seems to me very natural that if someone is leading that charge, they can kind of fall into that uh, absolutely. absolutely father yod type personality. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's it's I think it's it can be kind of dangerous because I think, you know, we have to remember that we're all human beings and and uh, part of what I try and share in my teaching is that you know, I, I'm teaching what I most need to know as well, that uh, I am just like everybody else, just trying my best to do the next right thing in my life and live well and be kind and respectful. And, and so that, that it's, you know, that they look to somebody and can really relate. That's important as a teacher. And, um, but yeah, I think there's just, you know, there's just a lot out there, but I think a lot of, there's a lot of uh, good yogis and yoginis with their hearts in the right position, you know, in the right place who are, um, who really are on the path. And that's the good news, you know, and I think the rest, it's like, okay, yeah, it's, I think there's going to be a natural matriculation. I think the longevity of yoga is going to be for those who find the deeper practice, who, who, who practice yoga for this deeper sense of connection and that they're going to stay with it. But the other stuff, you know, eventually people just move away from it because it becomes, it's not, it's not as, um, 
life affirming. Yeah. So, you know, I don't worry about it because it's the, you know, that's what's going to, that's what's going to happen. There's always going to be that in the world. There's going to be people that are authentic and people that aren't. And, you know, I'm really lucky because I feel like at the yoga room here, I've, I have just a fabulous group of amazing yoga teachers. I mean, every one of them is the real deal is really the real deal and they all bring something very unique uh, but i i'm just so lucky that they really do they really are the authentic uh, teachers that I had hoped to have, and, um, and they build, the, they support the yoga community out here. Yeah, you know? I mean, I'm not here through you know nine months now out of the year, and um, is that I, hard going back and forth? Uh, well, I don't really go back and forth that much. I mean, I'm here today because I want to check in with my, I have a little Christmas party with my staff and see them, but I don't get to come out here more than maybe once every two months, and then I'm here all summer, which is great. Um, but I really rely on them to uphold my vision for the yoga room, which is now we've, we're celebrating our 15th year. Yeah. Congratulations. It's a, amazing. It's amazing. And, and bringing something. Yeah. To the I mean, I, I am so like gratified that it has been sustainable, you know, and, um, and it, and it, you know, I feel like I, I, I haven't really sold out, like I'm doing what I wanted to do. I've created a space and, and, um, people are really, um, benefiting you know the community is really benefiting from it and I I just it's I'm just so lucky that I've been able to to have this and bring something cool I was just thinking there's a quote maybe you probably know it but it always stuck with me about yoga as long as there's a restless mind there'll be a need for is that what it is there's a restless mind there'll be a need for yoga well sounds right I don't know I don't think I've heard it yeah that, that one always just sort of stuck with me because there is something you know I definitely have a restless mind but any sort of meditative music is very meditative yeah, for me absolutely absolutely but, uh, you know and it's funny too because whenever you i'm sure you experience this as the yoga yeah. you owning the yoga people when they see you they i haven't been to class in months and they feel guilty <laughs> you have to reassure them that it's okay i'm it's not judging fine. exactly exactly that's the thing you don't want to you know you just want to be it's all okay it's yoga just just come there's a there's a quote actually that says you know practice and all will be coming you know, just practice and all will be coming whenever you can. And, you know, life is going to present challenges to us. So your yoga practice needs to be able to sustain you at different points in your life. Like when I first had my baby, I couldn't do as much. As you know, you're like kind of tied to your baby. Very tied. <laughs> and, and, and so my yoga for me and continues to be my mothering. You know, like how do I mother well? That's my, that's my yoga. Because some days I can't get to the mat. So how else am I practicing yoga? What, in what other ways am I bringing mindful attention to what I'm doing? That's my yoga. It's not just doing an asana, which is important. So I don't want to downplay the importance of a physical practice because there is that kinesthetic component and something that, that you know, there's a, a, a shift physiologically that happens inside by doing these poses. But you have to combine it with what am I practicing as I relate to my other, the other people in my life, how do I relate to myself? How do I treat my environment? How, you know, how do I treat the grocery store clerk? You know, how am I in traffic? You know, what are those messages I tell myself when, you know, I don't do something well? Um, So yoga is just a relationship that we have with everything. And, um, and I think we just have to allow that life's going to provide the right opportunities for us to practice, that life provides all the opportunities for us to practice all the time, and that our practice changes. Um, but, you know, 
if you can't come to the mat, great. If you can't come to the mat, there's other ways to practice. It's funny. Your energies, you have a calming energy. I've taken your classes before. Mm. You, you definitely seem very grounded and calming. You know, I don't think your energy is very uh, soothing. You don't seem like, uh, you know, some people are have different energies. You have a very nice calming energy. And I, your class was a reflection of that. I was just mm. going to ask you, do you ever get uh, like nervous teaching class? Um, yeah. I do still, you know, and now I've been teaching for a long time, 18 years. Um, but yeah, occasionally I do. Like if I have, you know, I've been teaching in off-island venues and, you know, if, like I've, in my off-island uh, studios that I teach at, you know, I can ha I have some sometimes some very big classes. I taught a Thanksgiving class to benefit the Rhode Island Food Bank, and I had 65 people show up, which is the most I've ever had in class. And I was nervous. You were nervous? Oh, yeah. I stood up and looked at the sea of 65 people. I was like, they're all, oh, I can crap. imagine they're all looking at you yeah. like, yeah, exactly. What do we do? And, but it was great, you know, because sometimes that ner that nervousness feeds you in a certain way, and um, I, I think we're I think it would be unusual for any yoga teacher never to feel nervous at all. I mean, <laughs> and it, you know, even for as long as you teach. You ever been in a class being like, oh my god, where am I? Where am I going with this? Oh yeah, <laughs> and you're oh, like, yeah. oh wait, of you're course. like start something. You're like, uh, actually, go back on your mat again. Yeah, Let's yeah. Start over. Oh yeah. Of course, we, you know, and I, I work with teacher trainees, and so I'm teaching, I'm in the middle of a teacher training right now off-island, and I told the students just a couple of weeks ago, these teacher trainees, I said, you are going to mess up, okay? You are going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. I still do. I might forget a side, you know, when I've done one side, I might forget. I still happens, and it's how you deal with it, you know? How do you I just deal thought with of it? a funny, can I tell a funny yeah. yoga story? Yeah. Uh, we were taking, uh, this was in, during Savasana. Mm -hmm. which is for the people that aren't yogis listening is basically sleep. You lie so down, you lie corpse, down corpse pose. and this particular instructor uh, would sing during it. And he was in the middle of singing <laughs> and he started choking. <laughs> and, and, and it was the kind of thing where our, our, everyone's eyes are closed, but you started to maybe <laughs> peek and make sure this guy was all right. Like, do you want a glass of water? Yeah. I was like, is he okay? <laughs> he kept coughing. Oh. <laughs> but the worst part is he was trying to keep singing yeah. while he was coughing. Oh, my God. And so finally, <laughs> someone had to get up. And he, get him a glass and, of water. And, and he, well, he started uh, having, I think he had, was having an allergic reaction oh. <laughs> to something he'd eaten. Yeah. But uh, it was a, it was a, one of those moments I felt like Larry David yeah. oh <laughs> in the God. middle of this, you know, he's like, is this guy all right? And yeah. he had to be helped out of the room. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's been times where I've had to run out because I've gotten sick, you know, like in the, oh act. my God. Yeah, like, I mean, it's not a lot, but you have to be creative. Oh you have my to be God. And you have all those people's attention, you know, yeah. and, you, they're, yeah. and they're paying. So. And they're paying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. That sounds like a book. Yeah. Awkward yoga moments. You could, that would be a great book. You know, that would be a great book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least the, you know. Back to that thing that I saw called yoga bitches. At least there's a sense of humor oh, in absolutely. the yoga community. Oh, and I think there has to. You know, we don't want to. I, I don't think we want to take it. You know, I mean, it's a it's a sacred practice, but we we want to. We definitely don't want to take ourselves too seriously. I take the practice seriously, but don't take ourselves too seriously. And, right. And I think you know there has to be that sense of levity in everything that you do. Good. Otherwise, life's not worth living. You know, you got to have humor. What kind of music do you listen to? What's in your car? Oh, 
What are you into? Oh, God. I'm very eclectic. I mean, like, well, what's eclectic? Uh, eclectic Joni like, Mitchell or something? Oh, or? it could be Joni Mitchell. It could be Dixie Chicks, um, Alison Krauss. Um, so you like the female singer? Yeah, I do. You like the female I voice? I do. Um, yeah. I mean, Ed Sheeran. I even like Ed Sheeran. I'm like digging some of his. Because really? I'm also playing guitar. So, you know, I, do, I play guitar and sing as you well. You have a great voice. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I it's. It's my second love. Like I, I, I would love to kind of move into being able to perform. Do you want to sing a song? No. I have a guitar right <laughs> no. here. No, I know. I, I'm not. Re- I'm not brushed up on I my guitar. I have a guitar right no, here. No, 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 no. It's out of tune. No. But that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. No, no, not today. But I anyway, so she can teach a whole class, but she can't play. Well, what song are you working on? I've been working on. Um, who is it? Uh, what's his name? Oh, Joshua Raiden. Do you know Josh Raiden? No. Josh uh, he, he, I don't know where I found him. But Who I is this Josh Radin, Radin you speak he, of? He's, I don't know. He's a, so he's a male vocalist, but he's, he has some very cool songs. So I'm working on um, a couple of his. One is um, ha, uh, No Fear, and now I forget. Today is the other one. It's called Today. Josh Radin. Um, but he has, he's a very Do good guitarist. Do you practice every day? No, and I need to. I need to, but I don't. But I have a little amp and a mic. See, now set I feel like the yoga house. instructor. Now she's with a musician. Yeah, right. She's like, I, I need know, to practice. I know, I do. <laughs> and I have a little music room set up upstairs, so I feel like, oh my god, I got. I, it's 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 therapy. I know. I I mean, I love music, and I it's I instant kind art. Of, you know, guitar really, is instant. You and know. I want to. There's they have these open mic nights, as you know, up in in Providence. There's a open, place right. I, I I'm gonna to say, be, guitar player be warned. Open mic nights can be hard. can be terrifying. They can be painful i used to run an open mic oh, i've okay. been and in new york they're really competitive yeah all right There's, i don't think they're like that in rhode island in the sidewalk cafe over there oh, on the lower yeah. east side yeah, yeah, you yeah, put yeah. your name in a hat and you know you'd have someone go up and they, there was a whole clicky thing with open mics so just be careful oh, if you okay. go but it, it also that being said it's a great way for a performer yeah. to learn the, how to perform how to get up there yeah, and I sing know. a song and be nervous in that light with all these strangers yeah well, I want to do it. It's sort of like you know, it's it's something I've got to do. You it's, can do it's it. It's there, so I'm I'm. Why don't you get two songs together and you yeah. can come when I play at the brewery and you can come up and play them. Oh my God! <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, to, okay. Anytime you want to come play, and if, All right. I, if, if maybe I'm I can playing, set myself up for the summer. Absolutely. If you want to come up with Lance Mountains there, or if uh, when I'm playing solo, if you want to come up and play those two songs, I'll give you a goal, something to work for. Go for it. Thank totally. You. That's wonderful. Time. So look for it. Shauna Green of the Yoga Room. It's going to be playing live at Cisco Brewery this summer. All right. Don't announce it yet. <laughs> well, listen, Shauna, thank you so much. Oh, thank I, you, I, I, This has been really great. And, uh, you know, you're really doing uh, uh, an awesome thing for the community, bringing mm. the Yoga Room. And there's other people doing it out there, too. But oh, listen, yeah, yeah. having options, too, is great. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody you know? doing yoga anywhere is always great. So... Thank you for having me, Doug. All right. Thanks for sitting down. Shauna Green, everyone, on Inside the Way. <laughs> There it is, Shauna Green. Thank you once again, Shauna, for sitting down. 
And yes, we will get you playing guitar at the, at the brewery this summer. It's a must. Interesting story. You know, take from it what you will. Get over there to the yoga room. Get, if you haven't been practicing, myself included, get back into the practice. If not there, somewhere. But, uh, you know, we all need it. It's an, important, uh, it's an important aspect of life. And whether you've never done it before and been interested, I encourage everyone to go out there, and Shauna would too, to find it. Because self-realization, self-actualization, is, uh, a, and self-reflection is a, is a good thing. And yoga certainly enhances that. And uh, it's only going to make your life better. And I think anybody that's ever done it can uh, agree to that. So Shauna Green of the Yoga Room, thank you so much for sitting down. And that's it. Episode 24, guys, is on the books. Once again, as always, thank you for the click. I'm Doug Cody. This is Inside the Whale. We're going to wrap up the year. I think I'll do one more episode, which will be episode 25. Do you believe that? It'll be a year-end wrap-up. I'm hoping to do that in the next couple days before I take off. So look for that. Thanks for the click, guys. We'll see you on the next one.